0: All right, so we've taken a look this morning at our biblical worldview of the faithful steward. Spent the first couple of sessions there. Spent the last session on the earning, the first of the five uses of money, the acquisition of money mainly through work. Now we want to turn to the living, the use of money to meet daily expenses. Yes, we are going to be using that word. You know it's coming. What word is that? <gasps> Somebody said it. <laughs> I will be talking about that. Yes, um, preference issues not absolutely priority for you, but uh, in the context, it is wise for us to understand where money is coming from and where it is going. Okay, so let's focus now. Section, major section three: living as a faithful steward. Look at this uh, verse here, opening at the top. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. Can you enjoy the fruits of your labor? Yes. But when that becomes your pursuit, that's when you go off the rails, pursuing comfort and abundance just for its own sake. This too is vanity. As we did last hour, we want to take a look at spiritual transformation. What needs to happen with our hearts? Last time when we were looking at the earning, we looked at what? A heart of, anybody remember? Pride versus a heart of gratitude, right? Heart of pride, heart of gratitude. Now we want to look at a heart of coveting, to a heart of contentment. Of course, as I said earlier, a lot of these will cross over and blend with each other, but we're just focusing on particular aspects. So a heart of coveting to a heart of contentment. So let's take a look first here at a heart of covening. Ah, went one too far, sorry. Let me go back there. Covening can simply be described as... The human heart desiring to have something that has been given to another by God that you yourself do not possess. But beyond the act of desiring itself lies the search for satisfaction in something other than God himself. So not, are, not only are you desiring something that has not been given to you, You're desiring to gain satisfaction from that object or person that you desire that should only be reserved for God himself. That's coveting. Coveting at its core is simply the belief that if I had more, I'd be happy. How often do we fit into that trap? Right? Right? If I just had a little more, I would be, then I'd be happy. That's a trap. Think of it as striving, yearning, restlessly seeking more. It is a form of idolatry that leads us away from God. Whether we're chasing millions of dollars or just another day's wages, each of our human desires is prone to covet what others have, to continually be looking for more than we're given. exodus 20 verse 17 after we look here coveting goes beyond desiring an object or person to seeking satisfaction or taking sinful pleasure in that object or person and therefore may be linked to sexual immorality note this link in the 10th commandment you shall not covet your neighbor's house possession let's just skip over male servants or female servant, or his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What else is included there? Your neighbor's wife. Why would you desire your neighbor's wife? Oh, she's a great cook, and I want her to cook for me. Is that really? No, there's greater desire there, right? You want to take, as David did. He took his neighbor's wife. He took Uriah's wife Bathsheba because he desired her and he committed adultery with her. So this coveting is not just the sense that I want something that someone else has and I want to find satisfaction in that. It could even lead us to sexual immorality, this coveting. So there's a link there. The author of Hebrews also draws a close association between coveting and sexual immorality. So follow here along in Hebrews 13. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Look immediately where he goes after that. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. There's an association there between love of money and sexual immorality. Coveting. Cortinas and Baumer write insightfully here, Our culture teaches us to be generous with sex and to closely guard our money. Right? Get all you have, but be generous with sex. Get all the finances you can, all the money. But God teaches us to be generous with money and to closely guard our sexual purity. Guard the marriage bed. Keep yourself from the love of money. It's a total reversal, one that leads us in both cases toward a divine contentment that wisely stewards what God has given to us. The heart of contentment, focusing now moving from a heart of coveting to a heart of contentment. Replacing coveting with contentment transforms the restless human heart. Right? Coveting, what does that do for our hearts? We are restless when we covet. Because there's unfulfilled desire there. There is the desire to have something we can't have and don't have. So we long for it. Right? So when you replace that with contentment, Lord, what you've given me, I don't need to look elsewhere for. What you've given me is what you've given me. So the restless heart can be transformed into a haven of peace as it finds rest in God himself and his providence within one's own circumstances designed and controlled completely by him. This comes only through meditating on contentment within scripture. Just think of Psalm 23. How does it start? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He does all these things for me that David goes on to elaborate. There's satisfaction in what God provides because he is our provider and our shepherd. So Let's go back there to Hebrews 13. Marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. And that's where I stopped it last time. But continuing, being content with what you have. So these verses provide the cure, both for sexual immorality and the love of money. And what is that cure? Contentment. Keep your marriage bed pure love only the wife that the Lord has given you. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content. Guard your marriage relationship. Be free from the love of money. Be generous. And it's based upon what? This is based upon the assertion that follows, the confident assertion that follows of dependence here. For he... Himself has said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? That contentment is based upon a promise that God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You'll never be left out in the cold. You'll never be left with with, with in need or in want. The Lord's my helper. I'm not going to be afraid. What will a man do to me? So the unbridled appetite for sexual sin and love of money and possessions will never be satisfied apart from total and complete dependence upon the Lord. Contentment in him in his person, in his promises, in his providence, in his provision. I didn't even meant those to all start with P, but they did. Both pursuits must be put aside and replaced with a greater love for him and love for neighbor, as stated clearly by Jesus. When he's asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind leads to contentment. Loving our neighbor as ourself leads to generosity. Generosity. Because God has provided everything you need. And your heart is being transformed from coveting, desiring, to contentment with what he has provided for you. Biblical contentment chooses to work diligently and live in relative simplicity. And I'll define that in a little bit, relative simplicity. With a heart of gratitude, that by God's grace finds greater capacity to give and share with others, even in the midst of suffering. First Timothy 6, 6-10. through 10, Great passage here. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. We've looked at this before. For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content but those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs that's where coveting will lead you you want you desire You don't have. So you go out there and maybe take it. Maybe even steal to get it. Or do foolish things. Because you have a love for money when you should have a love for God. And that love for God also leads us to love our neighbors. Philippians 4. Apostle Paul, again, writing from prison. Don't forget that. Writing to the Philippian church from prison. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at last have received, have revived, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and also know how to live in prosperity. There's a good understanding. Should we live in poverty? Should we live in great luxury? Paul says that's not the point. He says, I am content in whatever circumstances I'm in. If you say, following up on our earlier discussion, yeah, it's okay for a believer to enjoy the fruits of their labor and enjoy some some comfortable things and maybe live in some luxury, the real question is, what happens when that's all taken away? If it's all taken away and you're still content, okay, then you had the proper perspective. But if it's all taken away and now you're in a position of, of heartache and pain because those luxuries are gone and this is taken from me, then you weren't truly ever content in those circumstances, So I think that's really the question, because Paul is telling us, this is the key. Being content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. What is that secret, Paul? I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let's not pull that out of context, right? And apply that to everything in life. I can do everything. I can do anything because Philippians says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. No, I can live in any circumstance because God is my God. He is my provider. And I am content with him and him alone alone. I can live in a situation where I have an abundance. I can live in a situation where I have nothing and still maintain a consistent contentment. That's the secret. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Because he's the source. Not the things or the lack of the things. That's not the source of my contentment. He is the source of my contentment. And He provides the strength to endure both of those situations or anywhere in between. All right, so another examination of a heart issue. So examine your own heart again with this question What do I covet? Is there anything that I covet? that I desire more than you, Lord. Root that out, just as I need you to root out the pride. Give me that heart of gratitude and to go along with that heart of gratitude, a heart of contentment. Foundational, fundamental. Deal with these things rather than, okay, give me a bunch of financial principles and if I follow them, then I'll be in a good position someday. No, let's make sure our hearts are dealt with primarily and fundamentally. And these other things will fall into place. Okay. So let's move on then to part B. Necessity asking and answering the right question. So when it comes to our finances and our income, we're going to find ourselves, you know, in this group of people, uh, on different levels of the economic spectrum. Right? Some people are blessed with a lot. Some people are blessed with a little. And you just notice I use the same blessed term there, right? Some people have a little, some people have a lot. Um, So how do I deal practically with that income? Whether I have a lot or a little, how do I get to a place to where um, I can, you know, just develop more as a faithful steward, okay? So depending on the financial circumstances in water and abundance, in which the Lord's divine providence has placed you, one of two vital questions must be asked to help. Uh, in order to help practically with the human heart's transformation from coveting to contentment. If I'm on this journey, I mean, you can have a lot in covet. You can have nothing in covet, right? So some practical questions here. First of all, how do I create margin? So this would be for individuals or households who have a limited income and maybe are even struggling to meet their needs or they're even living beyond their needs. I'm spending more than I'm earning. Uh, What question do I need to answer? That question is how do I create margin, right? If you are bringing in this much income and you're spending this much in your expenses, you got a problem. The equation doesn't work, right? This is pretty simple math, okay? So you've got to find a way to take these expenses and bring them down here under your income, or you've got to find a way for this income to get up here. There's just no other two ways about it. You've got to go to a place where the income is higher than the expenses and there is a margin in between. Otherwise, you're always, you know, even if it's it's equal, um, every dollar I earn is, I spend it and I don't overspend, but you're not doing any saving, your giving is limited, you're not preparing, you know, for the future within God's providence, that preparing for the future. So you've got to ask, how do I create margin? And typically it's, you know, it's not easy just to increase that income. So, Really, the answer typically lies on this side, the expense side. I've got to figure out a way to lower my expenses and live within my means. So that's creating margin. So I like to put it this way. Having money left over at the end of the month instead of too much month left over at the end of the money. Right? A lot of us are left with too much month at the end of the money. We need to have it the opposite way. Okay, so an explanation here, and I think this is important, and whether you um, maybe agree if this is the number one principle for successful money management, that's, you know, up to debate, but uh, for these authors, they say, we consider margin to be the number one principle for successful money management, because without it, you cannot consistently give or save And God does call us to give and to save. Margin is God's gift to people with limited incomes. A way to plan for the future and to plan for generosity even when we're not wealthy. Sometimes the only way to generate margin is to embrace major lifestyle changes. Pause here. Philippian church gave to the Apostle Paul out of their abundance out of their poverty. Don't come to me and say, well, don't come to the Lord and say, maybe not to me, but don't come to the Lord and say, well, I I can't give. We have an example of the Philippian church, which we will examine later under giving. They gave generously, even beyond their means they gave. Okay? So I'm just saying that's not real valued argument, saying, well, I'm in poverty, so I cannot give. The Philippians found a way to do it, and Paul commended them for that. Okay? Sometimes the only way to generate margin is to embrace major lifestyle changes, but margin is the only path to financial health and to Christian faithfulness. Better yet, it's the financial path to peace and joy. And again, I may not put as much, you know, I'd be careful how that's worded, but I think in the context you understand that, hey, I, I can't live this way. It doesn't work. Debt, debt, debt is just going to get greater, greater, greater. I have to find a way to live this way and create this. If I want to be a faithful giver and a saver, I have to. There's no two ways about it. Maybe there is a way to increase this income. Maybe there is, and there certainly are ways to reduce the expense side of things to you know, a reasonable degree. Okay? And like I said, this applies differently to each individual and household. So take where you are and uh, apply this to you. So those on that challenged side of, okay, I've got a limited income. My expenses may be at or higher than that. I've got to find the way. How do I create margin? That's the question for that end of the spectrum. If we go to the other side of things, you've got to ask yourself, how much is enough? How much is enough? If somebody has been blessed with a great income that's well beyond what they need for living, those households with higher incomes have to set limits on their spending, set limits on their saving. Say, I need to determine how much is enough. Okay, My expenses are here. My income's here. Well, how much of this is enough? That's different for every person. I'm not giving you a number or a figure or a percentage or anything like that. Every household will have to answer that question if you're on that side of the spectrum. How much is enough? Okay? So, in other words, you're saying I'm going to set a limit on my spending. I'm going to set a limit on my savings. And I'm going to increase my generosity. This is what we need to live. This is what we believe we need to save. So you've got to quantify those numbers. You've got to go through some sort of process to quantify them. And when you come to that, say, okay, Lord, we believe everything else above that, we're just going to give away. I don't know where that is on that scale. I don't know how much that is. But that's just the question you have to ask yourself. How much is enough? These authors write again, when we discover the value of God and his kingdom, our desires move from ramping up our lifestyle toward ramping up our contribution to God's work. Yeah, you may be in a situation where your income is just growing. The Lord is blessing you year after year. You have to decide, am I going to increase my living my lifestyle? And there's nothing wrong with that, but you do have to ask yourself how much is enough? Let's set a limit on that. Otherwise, it's just going to continue, continue, continue. So you ask yourself, how much is enough? And I just want to give away the rest of it. Again, that's not me determining for you what that means. That's for you to seek the Lord's answer to that question and how he answers it. Because he may answer it very differently for different households. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Number two, under this, how much is enough? Enjoying the blessings of God, obtaining a better job with higher income, improved housing, more reliable car. It's good, but without limits, those pursuits can lead us away from God rather than closer to him. Poverty is not the goal, but rather a life of simplicity. And I said earlier, I'll define that life of simplicity. Define it this way, a life of simplicity, avoiding unnecessary distractions. Again, that's a relative thing. Term that can be applied in different ways to different people. But when I th- consider a life of simplicity, it doesn't mean a life of poverty. It's just what distractions can I eliminate that are now taking up my time and energy that are unnecessary? That makes sense? So seeking a life of, of simplicity that allows you to take that energy that you were focusing on this thing that you had or things or responsibilities because of the income, you're taking that and saying, I'm going to redirect that, not be distracted by that. Could be a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing or an evil thing, but I'm going to turn my focus towards more fruitful ministry and finding that contentment in the Lord, that thing that's distracting me. Okay, I'll just throw something out there, a, a boat, you know, somebody has a nice boat. Well, that boat requires it to be stored somewhere and cared for and maintained and insured, and you've got to take it from point A to point B, and you've got to, you know, all those things. And that can be great, and someone can just really enjoy that and, and um, you know, even use it in such a way that uh, it, you know, you enjoy it with neighbors or whatever or, However, but it's taking up your time in some way or other. Again, not a bad thing. I'm not saying get rid of that boat. But maybe you come along and say, you know what? I just don't need that distraction. That's a great thing. We've enjoyed that. Let's get rid of it so that we can focus on maybe more ministry for the Lord. I don't know. I don't know what that means for you. I'm just throwing something out there. But hopefully the point is made. Let's try to live a life. I think we saw this with the Apostle Paul. His life of simplicity was, we preach Christ and him crucified. That was his singular focus. He wasn't distracted by other things in the world. But he also said, you know, I've learned how to live in poverty. I've learned how to live in great abundance. I can do that as well. But his singular focus was on Christ. And so anything that's distracting us, we need to consider. Is this something I want to keep in my life? Or is it something I should get rid of? Okay? So, heart attitudes... Believe me, I've got to ask myself all of these questions as well. So it's a, a real can be a real eye opener if we're willing to sit before the Lord, ask the questions, and allow Him to work in our hearts to provide the answers to those questions, which may be different for each one of us. Okay. So response can be come by limiting spending at this end of, of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum, okay? So if you've got an income here, your spending's here, what do you have to do? Limit your spending, right? If you have an income that's here and expenses are here, well, how do I create more generosity? I'm going to limit my spending. I'm going to say, this is enough. So both sides are making similar decisions, but just from a different perspective, Make sense? Okay. Just remember Proverbs 16:9, "The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps." So make plans. think through these questions, and allow the Lord to direct your steps." All right, let's move over here now to the biblical principle of planning. So I'm kind of building an argument here for that B word that has been mentioned that we'll come to in a little bit. Okay, so the wisdom of planning ahead versus being panic-stricken. So as we've already argued, God has created man in his image, and one of the results of that is the ability to reason. And with the ability to reason comes the responsibility to think ahead and plan for the future, especially in the area of finances. Right? Creating God's image. God obviously, when he created, had a plan. Okay, I'm going to create in six days, going to rest the seventh, and everything to follow thereafter. Through creation on into the fall plan of redemption, all of that. He planned it all out. Okay, We're created in this image. We have the ability to reason. So in other words, I'm I'm kind of fighting against a flippant attitude that says, oh, it's just going to all work out in the end. Was that the way God approached his plan? Oh, it's just all going to work out in the end. No. So this is my plan, and this is what I'm going to carry out. Okay? Does that make sense? Without planning, every financial problem quickly turns into a crisis. And decisions are made haphazardly or foolishly, often resulting in the burden of unnecessary debt. We had no savings. We have no emergency savings set aside. The car broke down. How are we going to pay for it? I guess we'll put it on the credit card. So we're just going to add to the balance that was already there and now we're even deeper in debt when we could have planned ahead and set aside a little bit each month so that when that disaster occurs we have the funds ready to pay for it. That's why it's planning. Otherwise we get into this crisis mode. What are we going to do? Well, we don't have any other means, so we're just going to put it on the card and go deeper in debt. And that just results in the pain of conflict that could have been avoided in a marriage by planning ahead. So loss in many ways is sure to follow. Proverbs 14. The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The naive inherit foolishness, but the sensible are crowned with knowledge. So, do we want to be lumped in with the naive, the fool, the quick-tempered, or the sensible, wise who plans ahead. That's where we want to find ourselves. Although Jesus stated the following in relation to counting the cost of following him, that truth is based on the underlying principle that wise planning is practical and necessary. So in Luke 14, Jesus said, For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Wise planning, right? You're going to build something? Okay, do I have the funds to see this to the end? To purchase the materials, to hire the labor, to complete the work until it's done? Or am I going to run out of money somewhere? Well, that attitude is it'll all work out in the end. just doesn't work, does it, in this situation? How do you know it's going to all work out in the end? It may very well not. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Even so, planning must be always performed prayerfully, seeking the Lord's will. Do I need to plan? Yes. It's a good thing. It's it's a godly thing to plan. But I must always submit my plans to the Lord and let him direct my steps. So in doing so, you'll find your plans molded and shaped to reflect God's plans for you and accept them with greater submission to your increased trust in him. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will quickly wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's because he's directing your heart. Because you're finding your delight in him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Lord, you're my desire. And that has a transforming effect on How you direct my desires. With me? Still with me? (laughs) All right. Very good. Okay, so submit your plans to the Lord and remain flexible to his providential leading. We might have all kinds of plans and they might be good plans. But the Lord may say, you know what? Sorry, I'm going to redirect you in another direction. Good that you're planning, but I have other plans for you. So be ready for that redirection. Because often, if, you, if you're not, it's just going to result in disappointment. Well, Lord, I had this plan. It didn't go the way I had planned it. Now I'm just disappointed. Rather than, oh, Lord, okay, we're going to take a right turn here. All right, that's where you want to take me. Let's go there instead. Proverbs 16, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Amen? Amen. Rest in the knowledge that he's guiding you in all circumstances and events toward the ultimate goal of his divine, sovereign purpose of glorifying himself, the plans of which also include your good. Classic Proverbs here, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So vital. Hey Lord, I'm going to trust in you. You're going to direct us. I can't rely upon my own understanding because it's flawed. It's not omniscient like yours is. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Lord, you're my guide. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you fully, no matter what. And we know that the Lord is going to test that. Through trials, right? He's going to test that. Do you really trust me? Do you really believe in me? Are you really going to follow me? We will be tested in that. But the Lord is faithful. He will bring us through. Planning requires clear and open communication in marriage. So focusing a little bit more on the married couples here. Husbands and wives must communicate about money. That communication does not need to cause stress. Well, we avoid it because there's always an argument. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. That communication can bind spouses more tightly together because as you're drawn to, okay, Lord, where do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? That's drawing you together as you're drawing closer to the Lord. But unfortunately, most conversations about money between spouses are strained and bring discord instead of harmony. Money issues can be traced back to a lack of understanding regarding the issues of biblical stewardship and even more fundamentally, a wrong understanding of God. Most couples have never been exposed to these principles and therefore act out of ignorance since they also do not know God as they should. There is a need for the mind to be informed and transformed. There is a need to truly know God first and foremost. As I said at the very beginning of today, the great series that Brad is preaching through. Right? The attributes of God. No one like him. That is how we come to understand God better, by studying his attributes and how those attributes affect us because of who he is and finding rest and contentment in who he is. But if you don't know him, from scripture, a lot of people out there in the world claim to know God and talk about all their crazy experiences, but that's a God of their own making. The God who has been revealed to us has been revealed to us in the written word and the living word. right? The word of God, written and in flesh, Jesus Christ himself. Was it Thomas who said, Jesus, show us the Father? Jesus said, Thomas, have you been with me so long? I and the Father are one. If You've seen me, you've seen the Father. So, get to know God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who dwells within us. Back to that fundamental passage in Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, nor a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. (coughs) Amen. Unfortunately, most conversations about money are strained and have discord, as we've already said. Point two under that, without the continually transforming power of the written word of God by the Spirit of God on the mind of man, sinful patterns of thinking that reflect the mind of fallen, the fallen culture in which we live will dominate. Listening to that advice outside of Scripture, that's what you're going to be thinking because they're feeding you and they're feeding on your fear. They're feeding on your greed. Whoever that is, the so-called financial gurus out there, or the you know, on the news, all those things. The only way your mind is going to be transformed into a godly pattern of thinking is by submitting yourself to the Word of God and allowing the Spirit of God to transform you. As we've already mentioned here, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? verse 2 there do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect colossians 3:16 let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever is true, okay, not everything that we're listening to on the news is true, nor is it honorable or right, pure, lovely, good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That's where our focus needs to be not being driven by fear and greed. So regular communication between spouses assures that they are of the same mind and moving towards the same goal. Okay, so this is, this is one of those statements that you're going to say, I don't know about that, but here's Larry Burkett. Without fear of contradiction, I can say that everyone who does not live on a budget is not handling their finances efficiently. Especially those people who think they don't need one. It's better to live on a budget and know where your money is going every month than to live without one and not know. A good budget does not restrict your freedom. It merely tells you when you have spent, what you have agreed, and you can spend. Okay, Go out on a basketball court, throw a ball out in the middle, throw 20 guys out there, 10 guys, whatever you want, and say, play a game. By the way, there's no rules. No rules. What happens? Utter chaos, right? There's chaos out there. No rules. Oh, don't restrict us. We want our freedom. No rules whatsoever. Sorry, but uh, the rules allow you to enjoy the game to its fullest extent. Right? Right? Because everybody's on the same page. We know what the goals are to make baskets in either end, to defend, and certain rules to keep us in bounds and how we play against each other, what fouls are, et cetera. The rules allow us to enjoy the game to the fullest extent. doesn't mean sometimes here in a fallen world that those tr- rules should be changed because they, sometimes they need to be, right? Adjusted, altered... But when it comes to God's divine rules, we don't need to alter or change them. Okay? So you can start thinking of it differently. And if you don't like the B word, you can say a spending plan. All right? Okay? So a budget is simply a written plan for directing where your income will go and then tracking it as it is spent. It can be simple or it can be complex. Not recommended. But it always needs to be accurate and account for every dollar coming in and going out. Budget includes both short-term and long-term goals. It will help a person or couple to provide for the future, as well as avoid the bondage and burden that can come from excessive and unwise use of debt. Yet even this requires that you know how much you are spending in the first place. Burkett writes, discipline yourself with regard to money, and you'll find that it does not restrict your freedom. It allows you to expand to the full measure of what God wants you to have. And go back to here to Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. In that time, that was their wealth. Flocks and their herds. You don't understand what's going on with your flocks and with your herds or with your your vineyard, your agriculture. You've got to know what's going on. You've got to tend it and take care of it. Without that, It just turns to chaos. So we're watching carefully over the resources that God has given us, and one way to do that is a budget. Importance of implementing your budget. In order to implement a budget, one must keep good records and keep all your figures balanced and on track, including the timely payment of your bills. Burkett states, It is impossible to have your finances under control without understanding the basis of good bookkeeping Fortunately, computers and smartphones and their syncing capabilities have made this process relatively easy to accomplish and keep up to date. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established, and by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So, the results in this context of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge is a house is built, understanding, it's established, and through knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Right? So planning is important there. Importance of monitoring a budget. Once you're on track, your budget must be monitored on a regular basis to keep spending in check. I know I'm just giving you some general things right here, but uh, just laying that foundation. must learn how to be flexible and adjust your budget as necessary depending on the circumstances of God's providential leading. This allows you to be ready to give biggest benefit of a budget for our family is yeah we can give oh there's a need yeah that's built in we can give I know where things are at I know that bills are covered I know that there's savings going on Lord we're ready we can give we can give more The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. Okay, so guidelines for budgeting. Some simple guidelines here. Burkett states a budget is actually a yearly plan divided by 12. And by the way, I've been doing this for 30 years. Okay, when I started my first, like, real job, I started budgeting. I had a ledger, actually page, pen, paper. Every paycheck, budgeted it out. Spending, that was just me. And I'm not saying you have to do things to the same way I do or the same degree I do. Your budget can be very simple. Here's how we taught our kids to budget. Maybe you've heard this, maybe not. Three jars. One, two, three. Okay? Get your allowance. Here's your giving jar. Here's your savings jar. And here's your spending jar. We're going to start with the giving jar. We're going to put money in there. Then we're going to go to the savings jar. Because if we go the other way, there's never going to be anything left for charge two and three. Right? So put some in the giving. Here's the saving. Here's the spending. That simple. You can do that. Do that in the right order. All right. Got our priorities straight. Three jars. Of course, you don't have to have real jars, but you understand. Right? It's that simple. God, here's what I'm going to give. Here's what we're going to save. Here's what we're going to spend. Your margin's built in. Right? So it can be that simple. So if you're thinking, this is such a heavy burden you're laying on me, it doesn't have to be. Now, of course, my budget has Gotten more complex over the years, but it can start that simply. Okay? So it's simply a yearly plan divided by 12, putting every aspect of spending within there, and when those bills come up, I already have the money to pay for them because I've set it aside beforehand. Okay, I'm going to go kind of quickly through these, and just hopefully you'll get the overall principles here. Okay? You have to, this is the old envelope system. I mean, we can talk about the jars, but there was a the budgeting system called the envelope system. Okay, I have my, all my categories in different envelopes. I get my pay, I divide the cash, This goes in for rent or mortgage, this goes in for groceries, this goes in for clothing, this goes in for gas, this goes in for insurance, this goes, et cetera, down the line. And you divide it up properly, you're spending that, oh, Need money for gas? Here's the gas money. That means you've got to plan it properly so that you have the appropriate amount of gas money there when you need it. Oh, sometimes we've got to spend a little bit more gas money, but we don't have it here. Well, we might take a little from this envelope where we have an abundance, and I'll take a little bit from there because we're spending a little bit more on gas this month. Okay? So that's the flexibility of the budget, it's not rigid. But if all the envelopes are empty and it's the 20th of the month, you've got a problem. There's too much month left at the end of the money. We didn't budget appropriately and we did not spend appropriately. We overspent. So you got to be careful there. Hey, okay? So let me, I'm just going to jump through because we're coming up here pretty quickly here. Budget must be simple or you're going to lose motivation to maintain it. Okay? Burkett wrote, and he wrote this 30 years ago, if it takes more than an hour each month to maintain it, it's too complicated. It shouldn't take you more than a few minutes just each day. Once you're, okay, income comes in, assign the income, smartphone app. As I spend it, take it out. It just all syncs. And my wife has it as well on her phone. When she spends, she can enter transaction or transactions. You can have them automatically download funnel them into the right category. It just Eventually, it goes on autopilot. For me, I mean, it's pretty simple now these days because I've been doing it for so long. But for someone starting out, there's a lot of challenges there. And so I'm not necessarily going through, okay, what's your budget, your budget, your budget, because it's all going to be different. But the point is, it's a plan, and I have my categories, and I place the appropriate amount in those categories, and when I spend it, the money's there, Okay, Um, auto insurance comes up every six months. So I take out and put each month one-sixth for that six months. Get to the six-month, all the money's there because I saved it. You're month one, two, three, four, five, six. All it's there, pay the bill. Start it over. Month seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Comes due in twelve, pay it there. It's already there. It's already in the category. Nothing comes up. Where did that come from? Whoa, we got to pay that bill? Didn't think about that one. Plan ahead. Set aside the money beforehand. Setting aside money for car repairs. So when that bill comes, that unexpected breakdown, there's money there to pay for it. Okay? So I've got a lot more here, but I'm just trying to get down to that nuts and bolts Um, And actually, I do have an example here of percentages, but you can actually, you know, I believe that you can read through that in the notes that you will receive. But I do want to go through the top three rules for your spending. Okay? What are the top three rules for real estate? Location. 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 Top three rules for your spending. Live within your means. Live within your means, and live within your means. <laughs> okay? Top three rules there. So, yeah, we're, we're coming to a close. You can walk through if you have questions about that. I do give some... Um, let me go right to some of these budgeting resources. I want to show you. The one I use is that first one. You need a budget online it's a subscription service it is going to cost you something Um, you can use something like faith and finance they have a basic version that's free does very something very similar to Wineab, or you can get a subscription service there but WineAb, that's what they do that's all they do I like products or services that focus and that's what this service does not necessarily Christian and doesn't necessarily need to be because it's just a tool, okay? But it's a very useful tool that keeps all our budgets synced across all our devices. My wife knows what's going on at all times. She can see the budget. I see the budget, and it works for us. So, sorry that I didn't get through all the material, but hopefully you get the basic understanding here, right? And that's what was crucial to just be a wise planner, to know the condition of your flocks and herds or the condition of your credit cards and banks. Know the condition. Know what's going on there. Live within your means. Create margin. Save for the future. Become a generous giver. And we'll focus, obviously, on saving and giving in our next week's sessions. But any questions that that has generated that... I can answer in the next maybe couple of minutes. Otherwise, I'll kind of stick around for a little bit if you do have individual questions. But anything at all that that generated? Or was it just siesta time, and I don't have anything left to ask you because I can't think of anything. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, uh, it's 1.30, so um, let me close us in prayer thanks again for your, your time, your attention. And I pray that the Lord uses this for you. Lord, I, I do thank you that uh, your word is um, just so deep and rich and covers every aspect of our lives where we need divine attention. And you have revealed yourself to us in your creation, but in particularly, in particular in your written word and in the living word of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for the word of God that we can study and glean principles from and understand how we might live our lives. So we pray that you would take the things that we have heard today and cause us to ask the very important questions and to listen as we seek you in your word and as your spirit ministers to us and guides us and leads and directs us. Help us to develop a heart of, of just contentment and thankfulness and replace the heart of greed and the heart of coveting with those divine virtues. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you and just pray that you bring us together again next week and that we might uh, learn further about these vital principles. We pray this in your name. Amen.